Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. Well, amen. Repeat after me. Good morning, Holy Spirit. I trust you. I trust in you. I trust you in me. Amen. So Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me. Say, fill me, Holy Spirit. Take over. Let there be a holy takeover right now. Holy Spirit, just take over. Fill me with your presence, your power, your anointing, your gifts. Let your fruit just flow out of me. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of my message this morning is How to Learn from Your Losses and Regain Your Life. Losses are inevitable. It's a part of life, right? Everybody experiences losses. Some people learn from them, and they change. Some people live in this everlasting drama, whether it's relationships or marriage or their kids or their finances or their boss or their work or whatever it is. They live, they're stuck in this cycle of repeating the same thing over and over and over and over and over. Did you get the over yet? <laughs> Again. That's not God's best for you. God wants you to break the cycle of losses in your life. So last night as I was just preparing my heart to deliver this message the Holy Spirit just quietly reassured me and said, I'm going to change lives tomorrow morning. I'm going to change lives. So say, Jesus, here I am. Change me. Wherever my life doesn't line up with your kingdom, change it. What a wonderful prayer. Isn't that a wonderful prayer? So we see this cycle of losses in people's lives. I think one of the clearest examples is with marriage. So we know that the statistics are that for people who get married the first time, the likelihood, according to the statistics, is that that marriage has a 40%, unfortunately, a 40% likelihood of not making it. 
That's terrible, isn't it? Wow, 40%. For those people who have been married once, for them to say, you know, I'm going to try it again. It jumps to 60% of a second marriage likely ending in divorce. For a third marriage, 70%. For a fourth marriage, it's now doubled. It's at 80%. Why, why is that? It's because it's easier to quit. Marriage is hard work. Anybody there with me? I mean, if you want to have a good one, it's even a lot harder. <laughs> but it's wonderful. It is worth it. Say it's worth it. But it is hard. And people who don't think it's hard have never been married. It's sort of like perfect parents. You ever been around perfect parents? Perfect parents have never had children. Some of you are going to get that tomorrow. So I experienced loss. I've experienced many losses. But I experienced a financial loss, a significant financial loss a couple years ago. And as I was just thinking about my own losses and and learning from them, wow, that one stung. Because it was kind of like in my wheelhouse. It was like in my strength, and I let my guard down. You know, you got to really watch your strengths, too. You know that? So uh, I I have a mind for numbers. I have a mind for money. Uh, My degree in college was in economics, and economics just came easy to me. Money and banking, accounting, business law. It was just my mind thinks in that way. So it has been very beneficial to me personally. Uh, My wife and I, we've never been in debt. We've only paid cash for our cars. We paid for our four sons' education so they wouldn't graduate with a student loan. It's helped us here at Overflow Church for 25 years. We've never been in debt, and we've been on a firm foundation here. We have a a strong finance ministry team led by Charlotte Muir. So, So this background has been very beneficial to me until about... Five years ago, somebody, a friend came up to me and said, have you heard about uh, this thing called Movie Pass? Now, this isn't it, but it, it, it sort of looked like this. And I said, no. He said, well, you know, if, you, if, you, if you buy this Movie Pass, it's $120 a year, $10 a month, and you can go to unlimited movies. You can go to a movie every day. And I'm thinking, if I just go once a month, I, I break even. But I, but I was kind of doubtful, so I, I wanted him to get it first and to try it out, and, and it didn't work. I went to a movie with him. I paid. He didn't. I'm like, okay. So I went ahead and bought a couple, and, and wow, it worked for two years. Just go to the movie and, and just give me your little movie, movie pass debit card, and man, it's like, wow, this is good. And then all of a sudden, I tried it, and it didn't work. And so I asked my friend about it, and and he said, well, uh, they're having some cash flow problems, uh, but they've, they've reorganized their business plan. And now they're going to start launching movies. They're going to do one with Mel Gibson. And, uh, and the stocks have decreased from, I can't remember what he said, from like $167 to $0.02. Cents. Yeah. So, but he said, but they have a business plan and, and if it works, think about this. If, if, it just, if it just went to four cents, we would have doubled our money. 
if it goes to a dollar, we, we would have multiplied it by 50 times. Just think if it goes back up to like $167, whatever it was at its high. And so I started thinking with them. I started coming into agreement. You know what that's called? Greed. <laughs> and I'm not generally a greedy person. I feel like God's made me a very giving person. But wow, my guard was not up. So I said, yeah, it made sense. Although I have a very clear investment business plan. It's invest smart, invest steady, and invest safely. And it has worked for me for years. And I understand what each of those three words mean in my investment plan. So I called up my broker, my stock broker, and I said, um, I want to buy on the New York Stock Exchange HMNY, which is the movie pass company for, stock, for, for these stocks. He looked it up and he said, no, you don't. <laughs> these are penny stocks. That's what they call them when they get into when they get their value gets to be in pennies. He says once they start getting into pennies, they just continue to decline. They don't ever increase. Because I shared with him, what if it goes to four cents? And he goes, it's not. And I said, well, that's okay. Buy them anyway. So uh, pretty soon they went to a penny, and then a half a penny and then a tenth of a penny, till now they're absolutely worthless. But I still have them. <laughs> I, I've kept them on my portfolio as a reminder to learn from my losses. See, some people, they just want to forget their losses, and they don't want to learn from them. We need to learn from our losses. And you know the best way to learn from your losses is to confess them to another person? See, the Greek word for sin is amartia. We think a sin is killing somebody or you know, something really bad. Amartia just means missing God's best for you, missing God's mark. So in James chapter 5, it says we should tell people when we miss God's mark for us because it will break its hold on us will come to our senses and escape the trap of the enemy who takes us captive to do his will. So have you learned from your losses? Are you learning from your losses? Or are you just trying to sell them off and forget them? And I'm going to keep those, I'm gonna, unless the Lord tells me to, I'm going to keep those stocks on my portfolio to remind me to stay with my business plan. Invest smart, invest steady, and invest safely. So first of all, do you have a business plan for your life? You need one for your life. So how to learn from your losses and regain your life. From the book of Haggai. Haggai is the second shortest book in the Old Testament. There are 38 verses. I would encourage you to read the entire book. I absolutely love uh, the Bible. It is so practical. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that these things in the, in the Old Testament were written down as examples for us so that we would learn from them, so that we would learn from their losses and not repeat them. So for us to understand the losses that Haggai is talking about, I have to give you kind of a history of the Jewish nation and how it began. So the Jewish nation, what we call Israel today, began with one man. 
His name was Abram. He lived in a place called Ur, you can see it here on this map, which is today in southern Iraq, right where the Tigris and the Euphrates River meet. The Lord spoke to Abram and said to him, Follow me. Follow me to a land that I will show you. And in this land, I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless your descendants, and I will bless the world through you, and I will bless all those who bless you. That's why we bless Israel. Amen? Because of the promise that God made to Abraham, father, who became Abraham, father of nations. So Abraham started the journey. He goes, yeah. So he started the journey and he made it to Haran. You see there at the top? That would be in southern Turkey today. That's about a 700-mile journey. It's about two-thirds of the way to Canaan or to the Promised Land. So he started obeying God. He arrived in Haran. Now he's from Ur, you are, which was kind of a, it's kind of like why mama, all right? There's not much there. If you get a picture? And, and he started 700 miles, and he ended up in Washington, D.C., which is like the capital of the world, right? I, I grew up there. And he's like, oh, I have arrived. And so the Bible says that Abram settled in Haran. I have a question for you. Did God speak to you about something? A promised land, a promise? If you'll follow me to this place, I will bless you. And you started two-thirds of the way, 700 miles, difficult journey, and you got to a comfortable place like Haran. And maybe God wanted him to stay there for a little while, but he settled. But the Lord is faithful. So he spoke to Abram, to Abram a second time. And he said, Abram, Follow me to this land where I promise to bless you. That's why we call it the promised land. And so Abram, he did. He journeyed to Canaan, to what is today Israel, to the promised land. This was about 2000 B.C. So Abram... Abraham and his wife Sarah had a son, Isaac. Isaac means laughter. Children will bring you laughter, but they will also bring you sorrow. And they'll break your heart, but it's worth it. So uh, they had a son, Isaac. Isaac married Rebekah. They had twins, uh, Esau and Jacob. Esau became a nation, the Edomites. Jacob had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those sons was Joseph. So now we're about 1800 B.C. So Joseph, he, uh, he came to a level of prominence, rose to a level of prominence in Egypt, just under the Pharaoh. There was famine. So Joseph brought his family, the family of Jacob, because by now Abraham and Isaac had passed, brought Jacob and all the uncles and aunts and cousins, about 70 of them, to Egypt during this famine. They prospered there for 400 years. They lived in Egypt. They became a nation of two million. 
the Egyptians saw the favor of God on them, so turned them into slaves. That's not what God wanted for them. So the Lord raised up Moses in about 1400 B.C., and Moses led them out of Egypt to the edge of the promised land. But Moses wasn't to lead them in. There was a judge who was to lead them in, the first of many judges who were appointed by God to lead the people of Israel, the children of Israel. Up till now, they were called Hebrews. So the first judge was Joshua. So Joshua led them across the Jordan River. They began to conquer the land because they had to take the promise. Often we think God's promises are just here. You don't have to work for it. So he says, I have a promise for you, a, a, a wonderful bride or, or a wonderful groom, but you got to work for it. you got to make that marriage work. Stay in the game. So Joshua and then a succession of judges for the next 300 years they ruled over the land, the promised land, Canaan, which we call Israel today, for 300 years. And then they said, you know what? We want to be like the other nations. We don't want to have a judge, a prophet, a man of God as our leader. We would rather have a secular king like all the other nations. So God gave them exactly what they asked for, a secular king. And his name was Saul. It didn't go so well for Saul. So then uh, David became the next king, the second king, uh, then Solomon, then Rehoboam. Under Rehoboam's leadership, uh, there was civil war, so they became two uh, nations, two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was called Samaria. The southern kingdom was called Judah, because Judah was the prominent tribe in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom entered into idolatry and not keeping the Sabbath in a much greater manner. And so they lost their freedom in 722 when the Assyrian Empire came and conquered them and basically transported them to Assyria. In 586, you would think that the, the other brother would have learned, right, that the kingdom of Judah would have learned watching what happened to their brothers from the north. So in 586, the Babylonian Empire came and conquered the southern kingdom because they, once again, turned to idols, turned to other gods, put their trust in other gods, and didn't have a day set apart to connect with their father, to connect in intimacy and expectancy. So about 50 years later, a third kingdom, a Persian kingdom, this would have been from Iran, conquered the Babylonian kingdom, which was, would have been Iraq. And the king, Cyrus, had favor on the Jews. And so he said, you can go back to your homeland and you can reestablish your worship and you can rebuild your temple. So 50,000 Jews journeyed about 700 miles through, through difficult terrain and, and sometimes unsafe to arrive in Jerusalem. And for the next two years, they put all of their focus and their attention on building the temple of the Lord. And when the foundation was completed, the people who were born 
in Babylon had never been to Jerusalem, they're like shouting, yay, yay. The people who had seen the previous temple were weeping because they remembered what it was before. There were people in the land at that time. They were called Samaritans. You may have read about them in the Gospels. And they didn't like that the Jewish people had come back. So they began to oppress them and began to threaten them and said, if you complete this temple, we will kill you. We will kill your children. We will destroy your homes. So they stopped. Sixteen years have now passed, which leads us to the book of Haggai. So it's about 520 B.C., and the Lord sends Haggai basically with three messages. The first message is prioritize your values. Saying to the children of Israel who came from Babylon, 50,000 of them, to reestablish worship, to rebuild the temple. So he says to them, prioritize your values. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the most important thing first. You were created for the Father. You were created to worship Him. So let's read together Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. And these are, these are the dates in the Bible. The Bible is very specific with their dates. That's how we know the history of the Jewish people. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, I think I said Cyrus, didn't I? Maybe it was Darius. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, in 520 B.C., the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's host, heaven's army, says to the people of Israel, those 50,000 who left Babylon, traveled 700 miles to reestablish worship and to reestablish the temple. This is what the Lord said. So the people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why? Are you living in luxurious houses compared to what they lived in Babylon? They were luxurious because basically they were slaves in Babylon. Why are you living in these luxur luxurious houses while my house, my temple, lies in ruins? So they left Babylon. They traveled for four months to rebuild the temple of the Lord, to reestablish worship in Jerusalem, and instead they focused on building their own homes, which wasn't a bad thing. But it wasn't the best thing. And it wasn't what the Lord had called them to do. Yes, he wanted them to have houses. But what, what does it matter to have your own home if the house of the Lord, if, you're, if, you're, if your relationship with him is out of order? So basically, Haggai is saying, are your priorities, how you live, consistent with your values, how you want to live? 
Are they lined up? So Overflow Church, we have four values. You see them on the walls. Our first value is intimacy. Friendship with God is our greatest privilege and priority. That's our value. So we are Overflow Church. If you have come into covenant and into agreement with Overflow Church, we are Overflow Church. Say, we are Overflow Church. We are Overflow Church. So we're saying this is our value. So if intimacy with the Father is a value, then Sunday morning worship should be a priority in your life. That's where your priorities are lining up with your values. If intimacy with your father is a value in your life, then you're going to spend time either listening to his word, which I am now doing whenever I'm in my car, when I'm running, listening to his word, allowing it to go into my spirit or reading his word, asking God to change your life through it to, to see if, if your life is lining up with his word. Taking time just to be quiet, to learn to hear his voice, to find out what his will, what his best is for you. A second value is expectancy, that we trust in God's faithfulness over our feelings or over our fears. Are you living by faith or by fear? One of the evidences of that is in our giving. The Lord says, the tithe belongs to me. It's his, it's holy. And it's really God's gift to us because he wants us to put our trust in him, not in Visa MasterCard. So when we put the tithe first, it lines everything else up. I, I can tell you from doing that for many, many years. But it takes faith, believing that God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Our third value is community. With God, we grow together and we go together. We live on mission together. I have attended Sam and Odalis' living room uh, missional community, and I was impacted by the impact that they are having on their neighbors just by being neighborly, loving them, inviting them over for dinner, opening up the Word of God. And, and you know, Sam, he's been a pastor for many years, and he's humble, and he doesn't come across like he knows it all. He, he asks others, what are your thoughts? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this passage? It's not that difficult. When I first became a believer, I started a Bible study in my apartment. I never even owned a Bible. But we just started looking at John and said, what is it saying? So are, are you living on mission? Are you living in community? Because we do missions best in community. And then restoration. Truth number one in the restoration manual is that everyone has been wounded. Everyone has losses. But those who haven't learned from them and have begun to repeat them, they become strongholds. And you need restoration. 
So have you made restoration a priority in your life? Have you gone through the restoration manual? It's free. It's a free resource for you that will absolutely change your life. So Haggai, through the Lord, is saying to us, you know, are, are your priorities lining up with your values? If they're not, you need to do number two. You need to consider your life. You need to reflect, evaluate, and ponder your life course, your choices. You see there on the screen, an unexamined life is no life to live. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. The Bible actually tells us to examine our life, to test our life, to see if our life lines up with our faith, what we say is our faith. So examine your life. Is your life in a constant struggle? Are you always caught up in drama? Is the blessing of the Lord upon your life? Hey, guy, chapter 1, verse 5. This is what the Lord of heaven's host, heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you're never satisfied. You drink, but you're always thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you are putting them in pockets filled with holes. See, the favor of the Lord wasn't upon them. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Think about the consequences of your decisions. Examine your life choices. So to do this, you need to ask yourself three questions. Is there a lack of God's blessing in my life? Is there a lack of God's blessing in my life? First of all, I want to say this to you. God's not holding out on you. God's blessing is always pouring. His favor is always pouring from heaven. The question is, are you under it? Or are you over here? See, as long as the people of Israel were in Egypt, that's not where the Lord's favor was blessing. I always wonder, did they trust in Pharaoh's provision when they went to Egypt? I mean, it didn't turn out so well, right? 400 years of slavery. Maybe they should have trusted the Lord in the promised land and stayed. Just a thought. Second question. Are my values lined up with my priorities? And are they lined up with God's priorities? Am I positioned under God's fountain of blessing to receive his favor. See, the Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, Jesus is speaking here. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything that you need. See, when you seek God's kingdom first, your obedience releases God's blessings. Blessing always follows obedience. Because when we obey God, we come under his fountain of blessing, his fountain of favor. So if there's not favor and blessing in an area of your life, it's because you're misaligned. 
And you don't need to ask God to move. You need to move. See, Abraham, to receive the promise of God, Abraham had to move. And it wasn't good enough just to go to Haran. Two-thirds of the way. He had to go the entire way. And then he needed to stay there because he himself went to Egypt and went to a couple other places when things got tough. Stay, stay in the promises of God. And then our third lesson we can learn from Haggai is change your life now. Say now. 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 Don't wait or you won't change. It's called the law of change. When the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of change, that is when we change. So I've got a dangerous prayer for you. Ask God to get you to the point of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. Of these same old, same old. Say, God, bring me to that place of pain where remaining the same is greater than just going ahead and submitting and saying, God, your way, your will is the best way. So we see that the, the people of Israel, the, the, the Jewish people, finally, those 50,000, they began to line up with God's best, God's will. Verse 8. So the Lord says, Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house, my temple, the place where you can come and worship me. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored. You hope for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you, your choices, that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crop. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills. I'm trying to get your attention that I got something better for you, that my favor, my blessing is so much better than whatever the world is offering you. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shetil, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadat, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord and they obeyed. There is no change without sacrifice. There is no change without obedience. It will cost you something, but it's worth it. God's best is always better. We see this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul said, offer your bodies, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Jesus said it this way, take up your cross and what? Follow me. In other words, you've got to die to self to follow God. You can't You can't be living for you and try to live for God. As holy and pleasing to God yourself, this is your true and proper worship. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't chase after the things of this world, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and know and approve what God's will is for your life, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, to know God's will is to know God's best, and it always begins with obedience and sacrifice. I've said this in counseling people for 35 years. God's will is always good, and it's always best. If you miss God's will and you miss God's best, it's because you already had one. But it wasn't God who moved. It was you. Move back under God's will and God's best. And watch what happens. And this is what we see here at the end of this chapter. Haggai chapter 1 verse 14. So they began to work. So begin to work. What is it the Lord has called you to do? What has he said to you? They began to work on the house of their God the Lord of Heaven's armies. And on September 21st of the second year, in 520 B.C., of King Darius' reign, they completed the temple. This was four years later. So this is now 516 B.C. So I want you to stand with me, please. So would you close your eyes and just let the Holy Spirit speak to you? So 16 years have passed after they started to build the temple. I don't know how many years had passed where Abraham had settled in Haran. But I do know that we serve a God, a good father, who gives second and third and fourth chances. He has not given up on you. He's asking you to realign your life with his values and his priorities wherever you've gotten out of the favor that's pouring from heaven. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it's being poured out from heaven. So let's look at our values. Intimacy. What is the Lord speaking to you about intimacy? Is he saying to you to establish a time, a priority every day? To have a quiet time? To read his word? To listen to his word? To just be still and be quiet? and know that the Lord is God and hear his voice? What about expectancy? Is the Lord asking you to line up your stewardship with his stewardship, with your time, your talents, your treasures, with what he's called you to do? See, they were given to you. They're your, the Bible talks about talents for his glory for his kingdom. They're not for you and for your glory and for your kingdom. So expectancy, community. If you're not in a missional community, I can give a 100% endorsement to Sam and Odalis. They will be good shepherds. They will love you. And they'll show you by their example what it means to go on mission. Because Jesus gave us a job description in Matthew 28, 19, to go and to make disciples of all the nations. That means ethnic groups, all the people groups. 
we're to live on mission. Is the Lord calling you to live in community and to live on mission? Has the Lord been speaking to you about this restoration? You've heard me and others talk about it. To go through restoration, it is hard. It's hard work. Oh, but it's so worth it. Is he telling you to begin the process? So what are, what are elders and those who have been called out to be intercessors, if you would please come to the front. I am believing the word of the Lord who said there will be lives changed today. That some of you have been stuck in patterns of losses, in drama, and it needs to be broken today. So let's, let's make a distance if we could, because maybe it's some personal thing. So maybe put your hands out so that people can share personal. So the Bible says for us to confess our amartias, our sins, how we miss God's mark to one another so we can break the cycle of losses. So I want to encourage you to be bold. Holy Spirit, I release your boldness, your conviction to break strongholds, to break the cycle of losses off of your people. So look at these intercessors and ask the Holy Spirit who you're to go to, who's given, who the Holy Spirit has given an anointing to set you free from these losses, to, to break the cycle that's in your life. Would you come? Just come right away. Don't, don't hold back. Just come right away and just ask one of these intercessors, to, to break the cycle of losses in your life where you see a, a repeated emotion, a repeated behavior that's caused woundedness in your own life and others. And it's time for it to stop.